this morning, <clears throat> I'm going to talk to you, and I'm just going to try to wing it the best I can. Um, I'm not as organized as I like to be, but I believe this is God's way of humbling me, of showing me that I really do. Uh, I'm not. I like, you know, I, when I when I do my messages, I like everything to be exactly. And this morning, it's not that way. So I told God last night. I said, I'm just. I'm gonna trust you. He's worthy of being trusted. I wasn't going to do an Independence Day message, but as I studied this message, I saw exactly how it lined up with Independence Day. This weekend and tomorrow we're celebrating our day that we declared independence from Great Britain. Most of you or some of you may not really have a clue of the history behind this, of exactly where all this come from, and I'm not going to stand here this morning and try to give you a big, broad history lesson. I will tell you this. 1776, we were still 13 colonies under the authority of Great Britain. However, there was a tyrant named King Charles that was imposing taxes on the colonies that he was not imposing on, on the other people in England and France. He was coming over here and he was causing armies to stay in the territories when there was no war. It was time of peace and, he, and it was law that that each individual and their households had to take care of the, of the soldiers and they would come in and they would eat them out of house and home when they were struggling to survive to begin with. He was, he was coming over and, and, and he was causing so much oppression on the people to the point that they finally had to sit down one day and they removed themselves from the government of the tyrant and they placed themselves under a government that is one nation under who? Under God. They removed themselves from the government of the oppression and instead they fought for their freedom. They won the war by the power and the might of God. And they signed the Declaration of Independence that plainly states we are now no longer the 13 colonies of Great Britain in America but now we are the United States of America. This may not mean much to you, but if you were trying to live back then where they were at, it would mean everything to you. They came over here for the very purpose, most people came over for the very purpose of escaping religious persecution. Unless you fell under the Catholic Church in the ways that they had become, you were going to be persecuted for your faith living in England. They came over here, many of them, to escape that so that they could worship God in the way that they saw the Bible explained to worship Him. They saw that the Catholic faith had begun to get away from the true gospel of God. And so we started seeing the Puritans, the Quakers, the Protestants, and, and they came over here to escape all of that persecution that was there. And even some of the Catholics came over because even though they may have agreed with the Catholic faith, they didn't agree with the persecution that was going on. So they came over here and they were trying to set up a new government. At first, they just came over for those reasons. Some of them to make a better living. Some of them to just be able to worship God in the way that they saw that God meant for Himself to be worshipped according to His Word. But as time went on, they realized that King Charles was not going to let them 
just come over here and worship and come over here and build new homes without oppressing them and taking from them. And slowly but surely, the ways of England and the ways of France begin to move over into the colonies that were here. Until, like I said once before, they finally decided we're no longer going to be under your government. We are removing ourselves from this oppression and we are declaring ourselves independent of you and placing ourselves dependent on another government, on another system. What does that have to do with what I'm talking about today? John chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. You know what happened. A man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, he came to Jesus by night. He told Jesus, he said, Jesus, we know, there's no question that you are a teacher come from God. Because there is no other way that you could do the things you do except by the hand of God. How many of you know when God does a work, there's no way that you can deny that it is Him? He said there's no way that you can do, no one can do the things that you do unless He is from God. And with, with all the ways that Jesus could have explained, He's talked to disciples and Pharisees and He's explained the way of salvation as being the uh, enter by the narrow gate because wide is the way that leads to destruction and many go by it. And narrow is the way that leads to life and few who find it. He's talked to them about building their house on the rock, the foundation, and following His commandments. He's talked to them about so many different ways of of explaining salvation. But this is the first time that we see Jesus explain salvation in this way. And my question was this. Of all the ways that Jesus could have explained salvation, why did He choose being born again to explain it to Nicodemus? I believe the answer is this. Nicodemus was a Jew. That meant he was of the seed of who? Abraham. That meant that his salvation was founded in what? The law of God. He was born into the seed of Abraham. Because of the state that he was born in, it's possible, and I don't know this, I'm just, this is just my thinking, it's possible that Nicodemus already had in his mind that he had to be on his way because he was of the seed of Abraham. And I believe that Jesus, knowing exactly what was on his mind, looked back at Nicodemus and said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Just being born of the flesh or the family that you were born into, whether it was the Lee family, the King family, the Senyard family, the Smith family, the Thompson family, I don't care what family you were born into, I don't care where you came from, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus looked at him and he said, how in the world can a man be born again? What's he going to do? Is he going to enter into his mother's womb and be born again a second time? I mean, I don't know if this was sarcasm coming from Nicodemus or not. I don't know. All I know was that Nicodemus, he didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. Remember, in his mind, salvation comes through the law, through following the law of God and being the best that you can be, being in the covenant of Abraham, and that is where you receive your salvation from. And Jesus said, no, Nicodemus, you must be born again. I asked the question, why? Why do we have to be born again? What was wrong with the first birth? Well, let's look at a few scriptures. Ephesians chapter 2. 
verse 1 through 3. Why must we be born again, Jesus? Notice in Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And you he made alive who were what? You were dead in trespasses and sins. The reason you have to be born again because is in the current life that you live in, you are in a life of a government that is on your shoulders that is an oppression government. It is a government that holds you bondage. It is a government that will always take, take, and take from you and you will never be able to give enough to satisfy this government that you live under. You live under the government of flesh. The Bible says that because we are born of the flesh, that we are born sinners. The wages of sin is what? Death. So we are dead men and women walking as we are in this life. That's the first reason you must be born again. The second reason, keep reading with me. He says in verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's the oppression I was talking about, correct? The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the other. We came into this world bent on being independent of God. We came into this world bent on being independent of everything else, of anything that God had to offer. We came into this world with a natural love for this world and the things of this world. There is nothing that you can do about it. I don't care who you are, what family you came from. I don't care if you're sitting here this morning and you are a Jew of the seed of Abraham. I would say the same thing to you. You were born of a sinful nature. You were born dead in your trespasses because of sin. Well, what does that mean? Think about it like this. And some of you have heard this before, but bear with me. If you're out on the road and you get a speeding ticket, 65 and a 45 mile an hour, you go and you stand before the judge. If this judge is a good and a just judge, He's just. That means that justice will be served, correct? Can he just look at you and say, ah, that's okay. You ain't got to pay nothing, no fine, no nothing. Just go on your way. Is that justice? No. Justice has not been served. You've broke the law. There's a fine that must be paid. Well, in a similar manner, the Bible says that sin is transgression of God's law. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If that's the case, when we die and we stand before God on judgment day and we have our sin speeding ticket in our hand, whatever it may be, we're standing before the great just judge who justice must take place. If you stand there and the payment for your sins is death, and he's not talking about just the first death, but there is an eternal death. There is a death that ends in the lake of fire. If that is the payment for it, 
If death has been the payment for this thing and you stand there with your ticket in your hand, are you going to be innocent or guilty? You stand there guilty. And you stand there with your guilty ticket and you're going to be in one of two categories. There's either going to be one that stands right beside of you that says, Father, my name is Jesus. I'm his lawyer and I'm standing in because I've already paid this fine. Then the judge can look at you and he can rightly say, justfully say, you can go free. The payment has already been made. But if you stand in line and you have not accepted the price that has already been freely paid for you, then you're standing there with your sin ticket with no payment in hand. If God is a just God, if He's a true God, if He's a pure and holy God, there's no way He can just let it go, correct? As much as He would want to in His mercy and compassion, the justice side of God knows that payment must be made. Justice must be served. And if you stand in line without payment for your ticket, guess who's paying it? You are. And you pay it for how long? Eternity. So Jesus makes the statement to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, because you are a dead man walking in your trespasses, because of where you are in your sin, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Ronnie, you must be born again. Mike, you must be born again. There is no way around it. You must be born again. So my question now is, what does it mean to be born again? Let's look at a few more scriptures. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Let's see what it means to be born again. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It helped by getting the right book. It says, Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Is that not what has to take place in your life in order for God to be able to receive you into His kingdom? Old things must pass away. Behold, all things must become new. This is a process that begins the day you accept Jesus by faith. The first thing that being born again means, it means that you are a new creation in who? In Christ Jesus. You are a new creation because you are walking in the ways and in the life of Jesus Christ. You have accepted His sacrifice and you have been born again. You have been given a new life. The old life. It's passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Look at uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Romans 6, 16 through 23. Let's see what this means about becoming a new creation. And as I read these, I want to ask you to seriously examine yourself. And I have a reason for this. The Lord's really been placing something on my heart very heavy this week, and I know that's why He's got me on such a simple message. I'm not going to say nothing this morning for most of you that's going to make your eyes go, wow, I've never seen that before. Most of what I'm going to say, most of you have already heard it. 
Most of you already know it. But even still, I want you to pay very close attention. And I want you to do as Paul would say to all of us. Examine yourself. Examine yourself and you ask yourself, do I fall under the category of being born again? What does it mean to be saved? How's the song go? Is it more than just a prayer we pray? Is it more than just a way to heaven? What does it mean to be His? What does it mean to be formed in His likeness? To know that we have a purpose. What, is, what does that mean? Well, the first thing, Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Do you, know, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that, that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. The first thing you need to know about becoming a new creation is this. You have to change slave masters. You're still a slave. Whether you like it or not, you are a slave. You are obeying somebody. There is no middle ground. You are either slaves to sin leading to death or you are slaves to obedience and righteousness leading to life. But thanks and praise be to God Almighty who has made us, if indeed we have been born again, he has given us the mind and the spirit to become slaves of righteousness and to put away the slave that used to serve sin. He no longer lives. You know why? We've been born again. We're walking in a new life. Have you been born again? Let's go on. Let's read, let's read a little bit further. Look at verse 19. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanliness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? How many of you are ashamed of the way you used to be as a sinner? Let's just be real here. If you could turn back time, you wouldn't cuss near as much, would you? If you could turn back time, you might have lived just a little bit better than what you've lived. But you didn't even pay no attention to it then, did you? didn't even mean nothing to you. He says, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? Answer that question in yourself. When you were living in the pleasures of sin, what fruit did you have then that now you're ashamed of? And the answer is you had no fruit. You had nothing. But look what he says next. For the end of those things is death. The best hope you had in your sinful life in living up the pleasurous ways, the best hope that you possibly could have is what? Death. That's the best thing you could come up with in that. But then look at verse 22. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. And the end of it... Everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be born again? It means that 
When, when you are born again, it means that you are a new creation in Christ. It means that you change slave masters. And when you change slave masters, you quit being You quit being slaves of sin and you become slaves of God. Let's look at the next one. Romans 6 verses 3 and 4. Let's look at a new creation just a little bit more. I'm not going to have time to get all these in. Good gracious alive. Look at that. Mm -mm, Lord help me. I told you we was going to wing it. Romans chapter 6 verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Even so, just as Christ was raised, we walk in new life. Just as Christ was buried... We bury the old man and we lay the old ways down. Can, can you see why Jesus related this thing to saying being born again? In other words, there is a completely different person inside of you. You become no longer slaves to serving your pleasures and your sins, but you make a choice to change and be obedient to God and become a slave to Him. Now, does that mean that you're going to be perfect in everything you do? Absolutely not. But let me tell you what it does mean. Your path that you follow is obedience to God. Along the way, yes, you may stumble. You may fall down and get mud all over your face. But along the way, you step back up and you get back on the path of obedience. You know why? Because you have been born again. You're walking in a new life. See, there's a whole lot of people. Think about what the Bible says. Wide is the way that leads to destruction and how many is going that way? Many. But narrow is the way that leads to life. And how many is found that way? Few. But yet 96% of America is Christians. Is that correct? My point is this. Somewhere along the line, there's got to be somebody that stands up and lets people know, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that also shall he reap. If he sows to the flesh, he shall of the flesh reap corruption, death. If he sows to the Spirit, then he shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be born again? It means you are a new creation. It means you are on a path to righteousness, a path of good works, not a path that leads down the trail of sinners. If you're on that trail, get off of it. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that also shall he reap. It also means we put off the old conduct, put on the new conduct in the likeness of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 24. This is what it reads. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But then look at verse 20. But you have not learned so of Christ, 
If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, verse 22, here's the truth, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We become a new creation when we are born again because we put off the old conduct. We put on the new conduct. How many of you need to put off the old conduct? You need to put off that, that old fleshly ways that you know is not godly. Don't be deceived. Please don't be deceived. I'm not standing up here to judge anybody this morning. I, I, I don't believe it's my place to be able to look at a single person and say, you're going to heaven and you're on your way to hell. Yeah. Am I the judge? Absolutely not. If I'm not careful, I'll be in that line going to hell. I am not the judge. I am the one in the line that's trying to help people see. I believe when Paul wrote the book of Galatians and several other books, he would write to them and he would write to, as far as he was concerned, Christian people. But even still, he would put things in there like, I warn you, as also I have warned you in times beforehand, that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He may have thought he was talking to Christians, but he wanted to put it out there. I'm not judging you. But I want to just go ahead and throw it out there. If you are living in these lifestyles, I want to tell you, these are the kind of people that do not inherit the kingdom of God. And some of you were in these things. But now, what's happened? You've been born again. But now, you have been born again. You've been given a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit. And the evidence is there because the works follow up behind it. The works is not what saves you. It's all God and Him alone. But the works are evidence and there cannot be salvation without them. Good works will follow being born again. It is a guarantee. That's the only way. The second thing being born again means we become one who practices righteousness. Look at uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. This is what it says. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. Did you catch that? Here's an evidence of being born of Him. The ones who practice righteousness according to Him. Not according to the law. You are born of Him because you practice the righteousness that is in Him. You being born again means you become one that you practice righteousness. You have become a slave to God, not a slave to sin. Do you see that? Let's go on just a little bit further. The works are not what gives this new life, but they are a direct result of someone who has been granted this new life by faith. Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10 tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God. Nothing to do with you. It is simply a gift that He freely gives to those who will accept it. However, He goes on to tell us in the following verse after that that we were created beforehand for good works. Even though our salvation is not of works, lest we should be able to boast, it is what we were created for beforehand. When we are born again, He gives us the mind and the heart that puts us back in the place that we were originally designed to be. You see that? 
We were originally designed to be the image of His glory. And when we're born again, He puts that back into us. If this new life doesn't come to us by doing good works, then where does this new life come from? That's a good question. Thank you. Notes. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Where does this new life come from? If it doesn't come from righteous, righteous works, because ain't that what basically the Bible's been telling us, is that, is that the result of salvation, the result of being born again, is one who practices righteousness, is one who puts off the old, puts on the new. But if it doesn't come from the works, then how do we get this new life? Where does it come from? How do we be born again? Titus chapter 3, verse 5. not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. Correct? According to His mercy He saved us. But here's how. Through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior that having been justified by His grace we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He said, by His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration. I went to the old Strong's Concordance and I looked that word up just to see exactly what they meant when they wrote washing of regeneration. And here's what it meant. A cleansing taking place by a change of mind for the better. The Spirit is regenerating you by teaching you how to forsake your ways and walk in His ways. Do you see that? Remember what Ephesians 4 said? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. God has given you something after you have received His mercy by faith. He then poured something into your life. And that thing is His Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is in your heart. It's in your mind. It has consumed you. It has become poured out abundantly in your life. And He is giving you a changed mind to show you this is not God's way. This is God's way. And then the born-again Christian takes that great tool of the washing of regeneration and he chooses to forsake this and he chooses to walk in this. Do you see that? Once again, that one who has the Holy Spirit can absolutely quench that spirit and choose to follow the way that is not of God. He absolutely can. He can be born again, and he can choose to make this move. But let me tell you what he can't do. He cannot practice it. He cannot live in it. If you are born again, then you have made a decision a change of mind that by faith I trust in the sacrifice that He gave so that it would pay my sin ticket. And now He has given me the tool of His Spirit that shows me the way that is not right and it leads me into the way that God says is right and I follow that. That's what it means to be born again. The other thing, He says that he saved us by His mercy through the washing of regeneration or given us a changed mind for the better, but also by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. I looked that up as well. Listen to this. He said the reason why He says the renewing of the Holy Spirit is because it's a day-by-day -day basis that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the changed mind. 
He's the one that actually changes our mind, that changes our heart. This is not something you can do because you were born of a sinful nature, right? Everything about you is contrary to this. So there has to be a supernatural work that begins to occur in you. And you have to choose to follow that. Now don't take for granted that it's not a fight. Yeah, it is. The only difference is some people ain't fighting. Some people just don't fight. Some people just choose to give in to the old flesh, to the old ways. But I want to say to you, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. I'm not telling you you're not saved. I'm not telling you you're not born again. I'm telling you that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 to back that statement up about the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this. I beseech you, therefore. What does beseech mean? I beg you. I beg you, therefore, brethren. I'm begging you, brethren, by the mercies of God. You see that? That's some bold statement right there, ain't it? If I stand before you and say, I beg you, Wells Baptist Church, by the mercy of God, I'm pretty serious about what I'm talking about, ain't I? By the mercy of God, I beg you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Where does this renewing come from? The Holy Spirit. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And what did we establish in the last months that the will of God is for our lives? To be conformed to the image of of His Son. He said it is your destiny. He predestined you. He predestined you that you would be conformed to the image of His Son before the foundations of the world were ever laid. Absolutely, there's deeper parts to His will in your life than that. But the sum of every single one of our lives, as far as His will for us is concerned, is that we be conformed to the image of His Son. So He says, you're not to be conformed to this world. That's not the direction that born again follows. You are to be transformed by renewing your mind and putting on God's mind and God's heart and walking in those ways. Being born again is more than a prayer we pray. It's more than just something that you come up here and speak with your mouth. It's more than just wearing a shirt that says, Got Jesus? with a question mark beside of it. How many of you know there's all kind of people out there wearing shirts that say, Got Jesus, that they don't have Him themselves? It's more than just the clothes you wear. It's more than just the things that come out of your mouth. Being saved and being born again is a life change. It's changing who you are obedient to. You no longer walk in the ways of the old man. and You no longer practice those things. You lay that down, you bury it, and you rise up to walk in new life that He gives you. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 13, and this is my last statement before I close this morning. Romans 8, verse 13. The statement makes it very plain and very clear. If you live according to the flesh, what will happen? 
you will die. But if by the Spirit, that's that renewing power of the mind that we have, correct? If by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body, what will happen? You will live. It's a choice that each and every one of us have to make. Who do you live for? You know, the reason I got led this way is because, uh, I don't know, for some reason death has just been on my mind this week, so heavy. Um, every time It seemed like every time I flipped a TV channel through Discovery or National Geographic, it was about death or something about death. How do you know when the body is actually dead? Is it when the heart stops? You know, it was all kind of things about death. And then the next morning I get to work and I, I get on there and I always look at the obituaries and the news on WKSR and I, I looked on there and the news said um, uh, four teenagers in a wreck in Mount Pleasant, two killed, 17-year-old and, and a 15-year-old. And whenever the disasters came through Tuscaloosa and through Alabama and all those places, I, I got on there and I found a list of all of the names of the ones that were dead. And Facebook can be a very valuable tool. I thought, you know what? I want to put a face to these names. I want to put a face to these names and pray for these families. So I just began going down this list of names, and, and I'd seen how many of I, I could find on Facebook to just see, did anybody else do that? I, I did that. I saw so many faces of these vibrant kids, had their whole life in front of them, and then, boom, with, without any warning. They didn't wake up that morning and go, well, this is my last day. How am I going to do? What am I going to make of it? I saw some of them, the pictures they had on there, you could tell the lifestyle they lived was nothing of God. I hope that since those pictures were taken that maybe they had changed things in their life. I don't know. I'm not their judge. I know that whenever I saw those teenagers on the news and I saw that 17-year-old, she was a basketball player. She was very tall. And you could tell that from, from the pictures and stuff that she was a very good player. She played for the Summertown Eagles. And I was just sitting there and I was thinking about her, 17 years old, she never thought for a second that she was fixing to pull out in front of a trailer truck. I mean, do you just pull out in front of a trailer truck? No. She didn't even think about it. The other three guys that were in the car with her were from Mount Pleasant. I don't know where they were going, but they just pulled right out. And then, boom, two of them are gone. This life is so short. Tomorrow, you may be visiting me at Carn Irwin. Who knows? Tomorrow I may be preaching your funeral. You know what I do sometimes if I'm being honest with you? Sometimes I'll look out of the congregation and go, I wonder whose funeral I'm preaching next. Which one of you? Who's it going to be? And I don't say that to scare nobody. I say that to let each and every one of you know how serious it is that you make sure that you are living for eternal life, not for temporary life that leads to eternal death and hell. Independence Day, they removed themselves from the government of tyranny and oppression and they declared independence from this and they placed themselves under a new government. Do you think it was an easy thing to do? Do you think there was some fighting involved in it? Do you think there was some hard work they had to do? Absolutely. They shut off all the trade ports. They shut off everything that came from, from England to them. They had to work extra hard to make it where they were. But do you know it was worth it? We're enjoying the benefits and the fruits of it today. 
I want to tell you this. If you think we have it good in America right now, just remove yourself from the government of the flesh that keeps you oppressed, that is a tyranny that keeps you pushed down, that just burdens you and enslaves you to bondage in so many things. Why don't you remove yourself from that? Is it going to be tough? Absolutely. I'd be, loved, I'd be lying to you if I told you that you ain't going to suffer in it. Is it, is it always going to be just, just happy, smiley times? No, it sure ain't. I'd be lying to you if I said it was. But I want to tell you this. If you'll declare independence from the government of your flesh and you'll remove yourself from that and be born again, walk in the government that He places on your shoulders, the government of Jesus Christ, if you will begin to walk in that, it's going to be tough. I promise you that. But all eternal life is going to be worth it. The freedoms that we have here in America can't even begin to start to compare with what eternal life has for us if we will just trust in the sacrifice that He's given us. But let me tell you this. It ain't just coming up and praying a prayer to say, Jesus, I believe in You. Even the demons believe. And you know how much they believe? They tremble. They believe so much. It's about a life change. It's about being born again. Shirley, I want you to come up and play something. I want you all to ask yourself a question. Maybe I want to talk to one group of people first. This group of people is a person that you've been born again. There's no question. But somewhere along the way, after you started this new creation, after you began living in life, somewhere along the way you made a decision that you were going to pick up the old things again and you were going to start walking with them. I want to say to you it's time to come back home. I want to say to you just like Paul would, I warn you as I have warned you in times past that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. I want to warn you to examine yourself and see Am I living in a life not of my works getting me to righteousness, but can I look at my life and see the fruit that is evidence that I have been born again? Do you see that? Examine yourself and look at your life and ask yourself the question, am I in the path that God would have me walk? And if I'm not, then I want to say run. I'm talking about run with everything you've got in you. I'm talking about run so hard and so fast that when you get to the altar or wherever you've got to go, that when you hit your knees, you're just out of breath. I pray that you will recognize where you're at and you'll come back home and you'll begin walking exactly the way that God has designed you to walk. That's the first group of people. The second group of people is the one that can say, the change never took place in me. I've never confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I know that if I stand before God, I will pay my sin ticket on my own. I know that. And I don't want that. So I'm going to come today and I'm going to be bold and not care what anyone thinks about me to freely claim what He has to give to me if I'll just come get it. That's the two groups of people I want to focus on this morning. I want you to stand.